Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to Felony Friday, right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Felony Friday is the show where each and every week I focus on exposing injustice in the very, very broken criminal justice system in this country. Here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, I am one of three shows. We have a Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest-running show, and each and every Monday, Mark will bring on a a leading mind, a a brilliant mind from the Liberty Movement, or he'll host a a roundtable with the brilliant minds here at Lions of Liberty. And he's added a new segment, a new feature called Letters of Liberty that he's trying to do each and every Monday. You can submit questions, um, anything, any questions on politics, on libertarian principles. You can ask Mark those questions. An easy way to do that is by joining our online Facebook forum, our Facebook group. It's called the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can join it by going to facebook.com and punching Lions, Lions of Liberty Forum in that search bar right at the top, and we'll get you approved. And you can join a, a great group of people to talk about the ideas of liberty, and you can also submit some questions for Mark for Letters of Liberty. On Wednesday, we have our newest show hosted by Brian McWilliams called Electric Liberty Land, and Brian's doing some really cool things um, talking through current events, talking through, you know, really analyzing the early presidency of Donald Trump. And he has a, a new feature called Trump or Dump, where so you can you can tell which one's good, which one's bad, I think. And of course, every Friday of this show, Felony Friday. So uh, you definitely want to check out all three shows and subscribe to the Lions of Liberty podcast, either on iTunes or Stitcher or any other plethora of podcasting apps. Now today on Felony Friday, I'm really excited. I got a great guest. I'm bringing on a really knowledgeable guest. I'm going to be interviewing constitutional expert and educator Chris Ann Hall. And we're going to be talking primarily about the Cox-Kettler case in Kansas, which has made national headlines. It's outraged a lot of people, a lot of uh, people in the liberty movement. It's, it's outraged a lot of constitutionalists, a lot of people who care about individual rights. Uh, everyone is talking about it, and the, the country really is focused on Kansas here. We're going to get the update there from Chris Ann, and we're going to talk about some other things as well. But that will be the focus the focus of the show. This is actually Chris Ann's second time on the show. The first time was back on uh, episode 194 with Mark Clare. Mark had Chris Ann on, and I will link to that in the show notes, which can be found at lionsofliberty.com slash FF59, because this is the 59th episode of Felony Friday. Just one more note before we get started. Recently, we've launched a, uh, a couple opportunities for you guys as listeners to help us to grow the show, help us to fund this show. We launched our Lions of Liberty store, which can be found at lionsofliberty.store. We've got some comfortable, high-quality, really eye-catching uh, designs. Really, we wouldn't sell you something unless we were comfortable wearing it ourselves. Check those out. Go to Lions of Liberty store and check out some shirts. Buy some shirts. We're going to have some koozies coming soon. So really excited about that. A second way you can help and you can help on a more regular basis, a monthly basis, is you can become a patron of the Lions of Liberty podcast. You can do that by going to lionsofliberty.com support, reading about it there, and you can register through Podbean at a couple different levels that we have, different tiers. You're going to get more stuff based on the more you donate. You get certain percentage stuff off, stuff in the store, and uh, some exclusive content, other things like that. And, of course, all of this stuff, 
everything we make is going right back into this show, right back into this program to help us to grow the show, help us to advertise on some other shows, hopefully, and maybe eventually add some more shows. I don't know if we get enough money and maybe do some live shows, things like that, travel a little bit. You know, the sky is really the limit uh, based on how much feedback, how much uh, feedback we get from you guys and how much contributions we get from you guys will really help us to dictate what we can do with this show. So we're really excited about it and we're looking forward to the future here. And I'm looking forward to this episode with Chris Ann Hall. So I hope you enjoy today's show. Today on Felony Friday, we welcome constitutional expert and educator Chris Ann Hall. Chris Ann has a diverse background. She's an Army veteran, a Russian linguist, and a former prosecutor who has become a passionate advocate for constitutional concerns. Now, this is Chris Ann's second time appearing on the Lions of Liberty podcast. She first appeared back on episode 194 with host Mark Clare. So for Chris Ann's full backstory and to hear all about that, you can check out that episode. We'll touch on that here. But to hear everything, make sure to go back and check that out. I'll link to it in the show notes. Chris Ann was gracious enough to give us some more time today. So I want to stick to more current events. And for the most part, we'll be sticking to talking about the Cox and Kedler Second Amendment case in Kansas. Chris Ann, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you. It's great to be back. Well, thank you for coming back on the show. We really do appreciate it. I know you have a, a very busy schedule, so it's great to have some of your time. And I do want to, like I said in the intro, I do want to talk mostly about this Cox and Kettler case because it is such an important case, such an important case for this country, such an important fight that I think we have in front of us. But for the small percentage of people out there who maybe don't know who you are, people out there listening who haven't heard of you, could you give maybe a brief, as, as brief as brief as can be expected, sort of your backstory? Um, how did you become a passionate advocate for the Constitution? What are some of the, the key events in your life that molded you into this activist that you've become today? Well, I went to law school and started reading on my own and discovered that we weren't being taught the Constitution in law school. And so did that sparked the in a rebellion, and I started reading what the framers themselves wrote, and it really—that's part of what sparked a passion. There was I fell in love with these people who who sacrificed everything so that we could have liberty, and I just wanted to know more and more and more. And the more I learned, and the more I knew, the more I discovered that uh, we don't teach the truth anymore about the Constitution. We don't even teach history anymore the way it's supposed to. Be, ta- be taught in reality. We teach history based on philosophy and psychology. We don't base- teach history based on fact anymore. And so I started, I started learning. I was a, a prosecutor for about a decade. I also practiced uh, First Amendment law for uh, about two years. And it just really, uh, I don't know, it's, how, how does a spark spark? It's kind of hard to put your finger on that kind of thing. But in reality, it was just a desire to share with other people what I had come to know for myself. And um, I started teaching, started uh, talking on the radio. I, got, I in- eventually got fired by the state of Florida for teaching the Constitution because they didn't like who I was teaching it to or how I was teaching it. And then that sort of set us out on this path of, of uh, I, I guess, constitutional evangelism, if you will. This teaching all over the country. I do about 265 events in over 22 states every single year. And um, I have a radio show, a television show, and I write books and uh, have DVDs. And that's why I'm on the show. <laughs> 
How's that? Was that a good summary? I don't know. I think I'm at a lesson. That was good. That was good. And I I hate to say that I'm I'm happy that you got fired from your prosecutor job, but Mm -hmm. I think it's been it's been a gift to the liberty movement and to constitutionalists out there to have you having the the freedom to to go around and do this to to teach what what you know so well. Yeah, I think the the biggest advantage is that I have that is is that I'm a recovering liberal, so I I've come to know the truth uh, as the truth because. I, I'm, I believed the lies. So I was able to, to cross-examine the lies and, and, and see the truth. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's key. Uh, I came from the other side. I came from the neoconservative side. So I can see, I, I do have a hard time relating to liberals today, to progressives today, seeing where they're coming from. But I can always relate back more to, uh, to the conservative, neoconservative side. And I think that's important. I think that's an advantage that libertarians and more independents have over the other two parties is we came from one of those two sides. So in arguments, we already know where the other side's sort of coming from. Yeah, it's hard to find a neocon or a, or a, a real constitutionalist that converted to being a liberal. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't think there's ever been one. But um, So let's let's uh, jump in and talk about this, this Cox-Kedler case. I've, I've heard you on a couple different podcasts. I've heard you talk about it on, on your show and I think on the Jason Stapleton program as well. And for, I guess for anyone out there who hasn't heard of this, or maybe they've, they've just heard uh, little bits of it, uh, uh, you know, essentially Shane Cox and, and Jeremy Kettler were arrested in Kansas and they're arrested for, they thought they were following a state law or they were following a state law, but they were violating federal law. So can you, I guess, start out by talking about what was this, this state law that they thought they were following and, and when was it passed? And then, t- and then we'll jump in and talk about the federal law. Well, the, the key to understanding this is it's called the Second Amendment Protection Act. And the whole purpose of the state law was to prevent the execution of federal law within Kansas borders in very certain circumstances. And so the body of the law says that if a firearm, accessory, or ammunition is manufactured in Kansas, sold in Kansas, and bought by a Kansas resident... Therefore, it does, not, uh, it, it does not fall under interstate commerce. So since it's not interstate commerce, it is not subject to federal regulation. And the law actually goes one step further and then says any federal agent who is found trying to enforce a federal law contrary to the Second Amendment Protection Act is guilty of a felony offense at the state level and is to be prosecuted accordingly. And so what happened was uh, Shane Cox is a, is a gun dealer, so he manufactures a suppressor, and he has a store in Kansas. And Jeremy, Jeremy Kettler is a veteran and a Kansas resident, and he goes into Mr. Cox's store and sees the suppressor. Jeremy Kettler, as a veteran, uh, had service-connected damage to his ears, and so he was getting a suppressor to... Uh, to to help mitigate further damage. Right. And so he saw the suppressor right there in the case. Uh, next to the suppressor was a copy of the, the Kansas law that said, you know, we, we're not subject to federal law on this, and so this is all you have to do to buy it, so buy it. And they, that's exactly what they did. They complied with the letter of law. Now, I think it's very, it's, it's very relevant to say that Jeremy Kettler was not avoiding the federal law because he would have been denied 
uh, if he had to, you know, if he would have had to comply. So there was nothing on his record to keep him from purchasing the suppressor. It was just, it's easier, it's quicker, and you don't have to comply with all, all of the red tape and that sort of thing. Right, he he would have passed a, a background check or, or any right, of that stuff. Right, and and had passed a background check, and so uh, Jeremy and Shane then find themselves being uh, prosecuted by federal agents. And the bad thing is, in I mean, the first wrong thing is we have a local prosecutor and a local sheriff aiding in the arrest and prosecution of Cox and Kettler, even though they these people are not following the state law. Uh, by assisting the federal agents in in prosecuting these men contrary to the Second Amendment Protection Act. So they're brought into to federal court, and then two more really bad things happen. The first is the legislators who passed this law, over 80 percent, it was, it was a huge uh, cross-partisan, bipartisan action. Over 80 percent of the legislators in the entire state voted in favor of the Second Amendment Protection Act, and then all of a sudden they're absent. There's nobody there to say, hey, wait a minute, this law protects these people. The governor refused to do anything. The attorney general refused to do anything. And when the secretary of state, Chris Kobach, tried to do something, the attorney general impeded the uh, secured secretary of state from coming to the defense of the Kansas law and coming to the defense of these men. The second bad thing that happened is there's a federal, the federal judge over this case, J. Thomas Martin, decided unilaterally that Kansas law is not relevant in his federal courtroom. So he refused to allow these men to present their criminal defense, which was, we're following the state law, and that's why we can't be guilty of, of violating, of knowingly violating the federal law. This judge said because Kansas law is irrelevant in this state, their defense is inadmissible. So these men were forced to create a defense that was not their own, but a defense that was, was forced upon them by the judge of this court. And so the jury never got to see that these men were actually complying with every aspect and every letter of Kansas law. They never even got to know about the Kansas law. And the jurors found them guilty of violating the federal law. And uh, Wow. What did the judge base that on, that saying Kansas law was, was irrelevant? Was there... Is there any historical precedence for that? Are there any other rulings? His his justification was that federal law is superior to state law. He has an erroneous understanding of the supremacy clause and an erroneous un- elevation of his own authority and power. He said to us at the sentencing, he said, because we had a whole bunch of people calling him and sending him emails and writing him letters, and he, you know, he gave this whole 15-minute, very condescending speech about how, you know, I'm so happy that we have the First Amendment, and I appreciate your, your concerns, and I read all the emails. And then he said, but all you people telling me that I didn't know the law, you don't have to tell me the law. I'm the judge. I know the law. And he says, it's my duty to follow the law. And I will follow, these are his words now, because I took notes. He said, I will follow the law as best as I am to determine it to be. So we have a judge, and this this is the unfortunate circumstance of our court system in general, but more specifically in our federal court system. We have judges who believe 
that they are not only the ultimate arbiters of the Constitution, but they are the ultimate arbiters of the law and how they themselves are to follow the law. So they they define the law, they interpret the law, and even when the law applies to them. And that is that is just the very definition of, of arbitrary despotism. That's truly unbelievable. What what sentences do Cox and Kedler have? Are, are they in prison right now, or what? What are they dealing no, with? No, they could have gone to prison, but the judge sent them sentenced them uh, to probation, and so they got um, Jeremy Kettler got one year of probation, and Shane Cox got two years of probation. Now here's the problem: uh, those probations uh, strip them of their civil rights. And so Jeremy Kettler's a veteran, a veteran. He's called a hero. He put his, he's put himself in harm's way to defend our liberty. He should be called a hero, but now he's called a, fetter, a felony, a criminal, and he cannot vote. He, he has to relinquish all his firearms. He will never be able to fire, buy a firearm again in his life, all because the legislators of the state of Kansas and the governor of the state of Kansas signed a law into effect and then abandoned its citizens to be entrapped in a federal prosecution. You know, we talk about that a lot on this show about how felons, you know, former felons, people who have you know, been released, they're back in society, they're, they're contributing value, have their, their rights taken away, they have their right to, to own a gun taken away. Where where does that where does that come from? What what law has been written on the books federally? Because I know it's different. Some states have, have some different laws uh, regarding Second Amendment rights for felons. But what what is there a federal law written that they're saying trumps the Second Amendment? Well, there are many federal laws and regulations they say trump the Second Amendment. The, the question should not be what law, but what authority do they have to do that? And the authority oh. is none. Uh, the only, it is, it is a cruel and unusual punishment. The only way you should lose your, your liberty to own a firearm is if you are found guilty by a jury of your peers of using that firearm uh, to harm someone else. That's the limitations of liberty, is that your liberty should have no boundary except that you cannot harm someone else. So the point in which you use a firearm to take someone else's life or someone else's property unjustly, you have not had your rights stripped from you. You have relinquished them because of your abuse of them. And what we see now is this term felony, felon, as the defining pinnacle of, of who gets to have rights and who doesn't get to get, have rights. And, and many times, I'm sure as you know, is it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. I can tell you, as a former prosecutor in the state of Florida, if you are caught, if you are, if you are found guilty of driving without a driver's license three times, you are now a felon and you cannot vote and you cannot buy a firearm. Unbelievable that in a country that is purports itself to be a free country, we can have a law like that, but these nonviolent, you know, crimes in, in air quote in air quotes, many of them drug offenses, can strip someone of their right to defend themselves, their family, their property for the rest of their life. It's 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 truly unbelievable. No, it's 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 a punishment of slavery, is what it is. It is. It it's, absolutely is. Um, back onto this, uh, the Cox and Kettler case. 
where, where do we go from from here? Is there a chance this goes to the Supreme Court? Well, we uh, we have a very, very good friend. His name is Joe Miller. He actually ran for congressman in Alaska, but he's originally a Kansas resident, a Kansas na- native Kansan, and he is going to take up their case pro bono. Um, the U.S. Justice Foundation, he is uh, the, the executive officer of the U- U.S. Justice Foundation, and they're a not-for-profit law firm that takes up cases like this. And uh, I was, um, those who want to see it, they can go to my YouTube channel. I actually interviewed him after the hearing and, uh, I, he's a friend of mine. So we had a good conversation and th- we, we're, we're all very convinced that the appeal, uh, will be successful because this, this judge, J. Thomas Martin, is uh, his his actions were so contrary uh, to civil liberties that we we cannot even believe that the Tenth Circuit would uphold them. When you think of Kansas, you think of it. At least I do. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania, but I think of Kansas as being more friendly to civil liberty, liberty, be more friendly to ind- individual liberty overall than you know places on the coast. So it, it is surprising to be for something like this to be coming out of Kansas. It is but surprising, it is- but it's. I think it's real. I think it's real indicative of of the the epidemic problem in America. This this federal supremacy mentality combined by politicians who are willing to do things that are politically advantageous but unwilling to actually stand behind their actions when conviction is necessary. I'm glad you brought that up because this is a this is a thought that that one of my uh, one of my fellow co-founders here at Lines of Liberty Mark Clare brought up to me, you know, let's say I don't think this is going to happen, but let's let's imagine for a minute that either Donald Trump or you know maybe someone after maybe we get a more libertarian president down the road what, is it possible? Would it be possible for a president in the exec, using his using his role in in the executive branch to enforce the Second Amendment? Say, if a state banned the use of firearms, to use the federal government to to intervene to really nullify from the from the federal level the state law. No, that's not the role of the president. The pro, the the role of the president is to to faithfully execute the laws of the federal government. It is not the role of the president to intervene uh, when a state has gone rogue. The uh, intervention has to come from the people on the state level. And uh, what the president should be doing and what we should be more concerned about is a president who's willing to to defend the Constitution by simply saying we will no longer have an ATF. We will no longer have an executive agency in the regulation of firearms. And, uh, or, or at least say, in the very least, this agency will not regulate within the states. The ATF's only responsibility will be to regulate within the boundaries of the um, within the boundaries of Washington, D.C. and any federal property. Uh, because we need to to get the federal government out of the states altogether. We cannot have a federal militia, uh, a standing army enforcing laws within the states. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from there. Um, so I want to pivot here just to talk about any similarities that you see between this Kansas Second Amendment Act and the many states that have now legalized or decriminalized marijuana, both on recreational 
and and for medical use. Oh, there's a great similarity there, actually, because just as the federal government has no authority uh, through the Constitution to regulate firearms, the federal government has no authority through the Constitution to regulate plants either. And so all of all of those types of regulations were things that would be reserved to the purview of the states to regulate. And so when the states are simply saying, you know what, we don't recognize the federal government's laws regarding our plants, because legally speaking, that's what we're talking about. Most right. people who are who are are informed on on uh, marijuana law realize that the whole basis for the federal government regulating marijuana is a case uh, a, a federal case regarding wheat. And so what they've done is, is said one plant is subject to interstate commerce and therefore marijuana being a plant is subject to interstate commerce. But that, that, that power was never delegated to the federal government. So the states are well within their, within their sovereign right to say, you know, plants are ours and not the feds. What's, what's your gut feel on uh, Jeff Sessions coming in? Do you think Jeff Sessions, as Attorney General, is somebody that, that would try to come into states and, and enforce marijuana laws in these states that, that have nullified the federal government? Yeah, I have a great deal of concern about Jeff Sessions, actually. He ha does not have a very good constitutional or liberty-minded track record. He is, uh, in, he is vehemently in favor of civil forfeitures, which is completely unconstitutional. He's vehemently in favor of uh, warrantless searches uh, and uh, any type of government intervention if national security dictates. And so I, I do have a great deal of concern about Jeff Sessions in those kind of matters. And I know, uh, I, I do believe that you will find Jeff Sessions uh, it's a possibility that he could try to enforce these federal marijuana laws because that's, you know, I mean, that's one of his platforms, even though it's not constitutional. Yeah, it's it's sort of a situation where we're not sure what's going to happen because Donald Trump, well, he, he switches back and forth and everything he says, but he, he has did say when he was running uh, during his candidacy that he wanted to leave it up to the states in regards to marijuana, but then he... Uh, you know, yeah, but nominates, then, yeah, nominates Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions right? And and we know from Donald Trump's business history that that although Donald is a strong uh, leader in a long strong leader, strong CEO, he has a tendency to once he has put his trust in someone to just simply let them conduct their business without a lot of micromanaging. It, it is concerning and sticking to Trump. Obviously, what's been dominating the headlines recently is his executive order on immigration. Mm -hmm. uh, from your perspective as a, as a constitutional expert who, who has studied this, is his ban on those seven countries banning refugees and heavy vetting or trying to more, more heavily vet from these seven countries, is that constitutional? Is that within the scope of the executive branch? Well, it's... It's a little bit more complicated than a yes or no answer, uh, because first off, refugee status in and of itself is unconstitutional. There is uh, the only power delegated to the federal government regarding immigration is to create uniform a, a uniform rule of naturalization, and so so uh, refugee status is is completely contrary to that. A refugee status is not uniform. It's different for, from person to person. 
And it's not, uh, it's not an, a pathway to naturalization. We have people who have been admitted into America under refugee status who have literally been in America for generations on refugee status without ever having to go through any kind of, of uh, naturalization process or supervision or that kind of thing. So uh, refugee status is already a reach outside of the Constitution. But if we're talking about the president's authority to operate within the law created, now we're just, uh, and I'm saying we're going to have to kind of just simply ignore the fact that uh, the whole thing is unconstitutional from the get-go, right? Right, right, So if we ignore that the whole thing is unconstitutional from the get-go, what Donald Trump is doing is with well within his authority. But the real issue here is not whether Donald Trump is in his authority or not, but whether this judge is justified by his argument to, to create this ban. Or, or to to create the uh, injunction against the ban, and we're not asking the right questions because we're not or we're not getting the right answers because we're not asking the right questions. Anybody who reads Washington's complaint against Donald Trump's executive order has to come to the conclusion that there is no cause based on this complaint. Because the complaint never addresses a constitutional issue. See, we, we are having the discussion, is it constitutional, in, in, in the public. But that was never, is it constitutional, brought before the court. And I think that might be shocking for some people to hear. That we think that this judge has determined that the uh, ban was unconstitutional. But in reality, that argument was never made. The, arg- so, the arguments that what, were made were, were based on Donald Trump's campaign speeches, not based on the executive order itself. That's really interesting. So you're saying it, it was based on the, the, the complaint is based upon the, the Muslim ban that Donald Trump talked about during his campaign? Yes, and not on the executive order. Wow, I, I did not know that. Yeah, because their, section four of their complaint is called is the is the allegations section, and every single allegation is based on a speech that Donald Trump made on his campaign, or uh, one speech that he made after the inauguration about extreme vetting, which had nothing had no direct statement on on Muslims or Islam or anything. It was just a, a statement of of extreme vetting, and so the the thing that we really need to see here. The, the real atrocity here is that this judge, after reading this complaint that struck no legal argument, no constitutional argument whatsoever, declared that he believed that this argument would likely prevail at trial, which is why the injunction is to be, pa- is to be mandated. You see, when you, when you do what they call an interlocker, interlocutory uh, motion, which is what the injunction is. The judge has to determine whether he believes uh, uh, by, by reasonable assumption that the complaint would prevail at trial. And he, by issuing the injunction, he says, yes, the complaint will prevail, most likely prevail at trial. Well, that's the crazy thing. <laughs> because there's no way a judge who is a good judge, 
who is a fair judge, who's a just judge, reading that complaint would ever allow it to prevail because it makes no real argument. Yeah, that sounds like the, the definition of legislating from the bench right there. Well, the, the, whole, the whole argument that Washington State makes is, is, is a non sequitur. All, they, they, it's an illogical, all of the complaints uh, do not reach a logical conclusion. Yep. Well, unfortunately, that's that's not surprising from a lot of the stuff we we hear from from the left. So yeah, it it is what it is at this point. Um, not to defend Donald Trump or the immigration ban as what it is, but um, we we have we have to call you know we have to call a spade a spade and hold both sides accountable. I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show, Chris Ann. Um, before I let you go, would you please share with the Lines of Liberty audience where we can find your work, where we can find your podcast and where the uh, everyone can follow you on social media. My website is chrisannhall.com, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Uh, I have a YouTube channel under Chris Ann Hall. I am on Facebook. I am on Twitter. And we all my radio shows can be found on my website. I have a mobile app that if you go to your app store and search my name, Chris Ann, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E, and then my last name, Hall, H-A-L-L, you can download my mobile app uh, for free, and then you can have access to the YouTube videos and uh, the the uh, radio shows whenever they're published. Well, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you. You can also get my calendar there, by the way, and see if I'm going to be in the area teaching. If you have the mobile app, we'll, we'll give you a push alert and let you know. Thank you, Chrisanne. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to today's show. This interview today is absolutely one that I'm going to be going back and listening to again to uh, try to soak up some of the knowledge that she was dropping today because I honestly could not process it all as, as she was saying it. This interview today is, is super important. Our liberties in this country, as many of you know, as many of the listeners of this show and of the Lions of Liberty podcast know, our liberties are constantly under attack. But there is so much political noise. There is so much nonsense floating around out there in the mainstream media, on the internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, that it gets lost. And it's hard It's hard to, to really focus on important cases like this, on important cases like the Cox and Kettler case. These cases do not get their due in today's media. The everyday American is not at all familiar with the details of this Cox and Kettler case. They don't know that two men have been saddled with felonies for the rest of their lives for doing nothing more than just doing, just following the law. They thought they were following state law that their legislators had passed and their governor had signed into law to protect them from federal overreach. Little did they know that their state representatives and their governor would quiver in a corner and wouldn't stand up and actually enforce that law and actually stand in the way of the federal overreach of the federal agents that came in and prosecuted their citizens. It's really an outrage when you look at it that way. These two men will not have the same life the rest of their lives. They will not have the same rights as you and I. They won't be able to carry a gun to defend their life, to defend their family's life, to defend their property. They won't be permitted to vote. They are essentially second-class citizens, and all they did was follow the law as they thought it was written, as it was written, as it was passed into law. You know, if this case doesn't outrage you, then perhaps you're listening to the wrong show. 
But if this case does get you fired up, is this if this case gets your juices flowing, if this gets you pumped up to fight for liberty, then you're in the right place, my friend. You are absolutely in the right place. And if you're listening to this show, if you're still listening right now, I really want to encourage you to, first of all, please share this show. This is a great show. This particular show, this today's episode with Chris Ann All, is a great show to share with your networks. Uh, Chris Ann has an incredible knowledge base, and she's so great at explaining these topics, these cases, to the detail. So it's a great show to share. But I also want to encourage you to go and rate the show. Rate the show on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Leave a, leave a review. That helps us out more than you can imagine. And if you're new to Felony Friday, if you're new to the Lions of Liberty podcast, I want to encourage you to check out the Felony Friday archive. You can, you can find it at felonyfriday.com. It has all of my past podcast episodes dating back to January of 2016. That's when we started the show a little over a year ago, so you can find that all there. And if you have some ideas for a show, if you have someone you'd like me to interview, a topic you'd like me to discuss on Felony Friday, you can send me an email. Send that email to felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. It's a couple more things, and I'll let you guys go. I do want to encourage you, if you have not yet joined, the Lions of Liberty Forum. What are you waiting for? Just go to Facebook, type Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top and join. And we'll get you approved as long as your profile looks like a real person. I do want to encourage you all. There are some ways that you can help us. You can help us to fund the show. You can help us to grow the show. We have a Lions of Liberty store. We have a t-shirt line. We're going to be having some koozies up. They could be up right now, actually, depending on when you're listening to this. There is another way that you can support the show on a more repeatable basis, on a monthly basis, and that is and that is by becoming a, a patron of the Lions of Liberty, a monthly supporter of the Lions, Lions of Liberty. And you can do this by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support. And you can donate any amount, as little or as much as you want to, but we do split it up into different tiers. So be sure to check that out. That's all I got for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is a liberty burning.